today we continue the series on suffering as a Christian. In this particular section of the series, what we're looking at is the type of suffering that the Christian is not meant to incur in this life. And uh, in the previous teaching, we had a look at the fact that Christians are not meant to suffer for wrongdoing. Um, for we were meant to walk in love and thus we're not to do wrong to others and thus incur suffering as a result of that. We also looked at the fact that we're not to uh, incur suffer sickness and disease in this life for our Lord Jesus Christ has paid the price for us. Um, in today's teaching we're wanting to have a look at three more areas uh, that Christians are not meant to suffer in this life. Suffering worry, suffering um, what I've termed as evil, and then suffering lack, and we're going to go through uh, those sections. What is uh, quite um, concerning in the church is that, because prior to this section that we're dealing with now, we dealt with um, the suffering that the Christian is meant to incur in this life, and we said that by and large the Christian is meant to suffer because they are Christians, and we're meant to suffer for Christ. And uh, what we find in the church by and large is that the majority of the church actually do not suffer for being Christians, but in fact they suffer in these areas where our Lord, um, has, it's not His will that His church should suffer in these areas. And so the church has got quite a long way to go to basically move out of this type of suffering into the, the suffering that the Lord actually has called His church to incur. But nevertheless, let's have a look at uh, what uh, the scripture does teach us on these three particular areas today that we want to look at. Um, suffering worry, suffering uh, evil as I call, I call it, and then suffering lack. And so the first one we want to look at is the area of suffering worry. And again, we, uh, we always apply the exact same principle that we've been applying so far to now. Uh, when we look to see, well, are, is the church called to suffer in any particular area? We always look at the example that our Lord Jesus gave us in his life that he led when he was on the earth. And then we look at the substitutionary sacrifice that our Lord Jesus Christ made for us when he went to the cross. And so we say to ourselves, if Jesus never incurred this type of suffering and he also uh, incurred a substitutionary sacrifice in this area, well then quite clearly this is an area that the church is not meant to undergo suffering in. And so when we look at the area of suffering worry or being anxious about anything, and we look at the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, very clearly in Scripture Jesus was never worried about anything. He never became anxious at all, ever. In fact, he actually taught quite uh, strongly against that in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 6 is a teaching our Lord gave about the fact that we're not to be anxious for anything. So the Lord Jesus is not a hypocrite. He would not have taught uh, his believers, his disciples, not to be anxious about anything if he himself, uh, from time to time, became anxious about things. And, you know, you would be very hard-pressed to try and find a believer in the church who would um, you know, proclaim that Jesus... Uh, used to become worried about things. He never was anxious ever about anything. And so just by looking at our Lord's lifestyle that he led prior to going to the cross, well then the evidence is very clear that if we are to follow after our Lord's example, for again we go to John's epistle, he who abides in him ought himself to walk even as he walked. Uh, well then the church 
is not meant to incur any form of anxiety or worry about anything. It is not the will of the Father that the church undergoes this type of suffering. But there was a time when our Lord Jesus Christ did undergo this type of suffering. And that is when He then um, took upon Himself uh, the sin of the world. He became our substitutionary sacrifice. Our Lord also became our substitutionary sacrifice in the area of worry and anxiety as well, so that we could walk free from that. And we can pick up the account in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 32. The scripture says, Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And so it's at this point that our Lord underwent extreme emotional distress. So much so that in Luke's uh, gospel account of this uh, event, he records that our Lord began to sweat great big drops of blood um, because of the stress that he was undergoing. Now, that is in fact a, a medical uh, condition that does occur in certain individuals when they are exposed to immense uh, stress, emotional stress. And the, the medical term is, is called... Uh, hematidrosis, hematidrosis, I'll probably pronounce it like that, um, H-E-M-A-T-I-D-R-O-S-I-S. And so it is a, a medical condition, it can occur, um, you know, there are medical records of this uh, condition occurring. So what happens is the person is exposed to such a, a, a great degree of emotional stress that they begin to sweat blood through their pores. And that's exactly what transpired here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Our Lord went through tremendous emotional distress. He said, um, the scripture says, He began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And He said, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And so for our Lord, this is, this is not something our Lord Jesus Christ has ever incurred before. Throughout His life, uh, He's never incurred this type of stress. Um, but now He does. Why does he do that? It's because he takes upon himself the sin of the world and because he takes upon himself our anxieties and our worries. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, we pick it up in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. The scripture says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And so this passage of scripture is very descriptive to us of the substitutionary sacrifice that our Lord Jesus Christ went through uh, when he went to the cross. And part of that, the scripture says, that chastisement for our peace was upon him. And so when we, the, the anxiety and peace are the two opposites. And so when we, um, are walking in the will of the Lord from the point of view of we are walking free from worry, we then experience the peace of God. 
uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, uh, the scripture talks about, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so, very clearly, anxiety and peace are two complete opposites. And so, that's why in Isaiah 53, the, the scripture says, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And so Jesus Christ took upon himself in the Garden of Gethsemane our anxieties, our worries, um, the whole world, by the way. And he did that so that we could partake of his peace. Remember, our Lord, when he, he rose from the dead, he said, my peace I give to you, um, not as the world gives. And so we have received the peace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He has been made unto us peace. And so very clearly, um, from the, the, the scriptural accounts of the substitutionary sacrifice that our Lord Jesus Christ made for us when he went to the cross, uh, we are not to experience um, anxiety. We're not to experience worry. It is not the will of the Father that the church incur any anxieties or any worries in this life. Why is that? Well, as we looked at the, the, uh, the lifestyle our Lord led, He led us by example. He never ever worried about anything. Um, except when He went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, at, at, it's at that time that He became our substitutionary sacrifice. And that our chastisement uh, for our peace was placed upon Him, that we might partake of His peace. And so there's the substitutionary sacrifice that Jesus has made for us in this area. But again, also with regards to the curse of the law, we've dealt with that passage of Scripture already in Galatians 3, that He was made a curse for us. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us, that we might uh, be set free from the curse. Now, again, if you go, and I've mentioned it already, if you go look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, it lists the curse of the law. And there's a whole lot of curses there. Now, one of those curses that are listed there is in 2866. And that curse is having an anxious mind. It's under the curse of the law. And so when one is anxious and having an anxious mind, that means they are partaking of the curse of the law from which Christ has redeemed his church. And so the church very clearly is not meant to partake of having an anxious mind. And so, you know, again, the scripture is so very clear in this area. And yet so many Christians suffer in this area. And as I said at the outset of today's teaching, what is concerning in the church is that the areas that we're not meant to incur suffering in, a lot of the Christians are walking there. The areas that the church is meant to incur suffering in, a lot of the Christians aren't walking there. And so, you know, that, that we have to get the... Um, the walk right, basically. We have to step out of these areas of suffering and we have to step into the correct areas of suffering. Uh, and a lot of it is revolves around knowledge, understanding, um, because, you know, the church doesn't really get taught in this area. And so part of the reason for this series that we're putting together is so that, you know, the truth of the gospel can be proclaimed um, in these areas so that the church can know the truth and the truth can make her free so she, she can walk in it. And so... The church is not called to suffer worry and anxiety. That's not the will of our Father for any one of his uh, children. 
The next area we want, we want to look at is, uh, as I say, I've, I've um, entitled it Suffering Evil. So what do I mean when I say that uh, we're not to suffer evil, evil in this life? Well, the, the type of evil I'm talking about is when um, accidents occur in the life of, of believers and natural disasters that occur in the life of believers. That's not the suffering that the church is meant to undergo. Um, you say, well, now you're really stretching uh, uh, things because, I mean, you know, everybody's going to have an accident at some stage and, you know, we're all going to be subjected to any kind of natural disaster that comes along. Well, actually, that's not correct because, again, as with all of it, we always look at Jesus, the lifestyle he led as an example, and then we look at his substitutionary sacrifice. So in this area, what do we see? When we look at our, our Lord's lifestyle that He led when He walked the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ never had an accident. There was never a case where He stubbed His toe against a stone um, and bruised Himself as a result of it or cut his, his, his foot because of it. And that is a truth that a lot of Christians, you know, okay, they can grasp that that never happened to Jesus. Although you still get a lot of people who still think, you know, Jesus, when he was growing up as a young child, he must have cut himself and bruised himself, and you know, Mary would have had to kiss it better, and you know, and he would have been crying. But that's not the Bible. That's not what the Word of God teaches us. And again, we go back to this. We dealt with this passage, but let's go back to it again. Matthew chapter four, verse six. Um, Satan speaking to Jesus and he says if you are the son of God throw yourself down for it is written he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone and so very clearly that is where Jesus walked that the angels of God lifted him up in their hands so that he wouldn't even dash his foot against a stone. And that's where God wants us to walk as well. God's not a respecter of persons. We need to understand that. Now, Jesus Christ does have preeminence in everything because he is our Lord and he's God. But nevertheless, we can walk even as he walked. I'll take you back to John's epistle. He who abides in him ought himself to walk even as he walked. And so the Christian has this ability doesn't mean we will, but we do have this ability to walk in that place. And so Christians are not meant to incur accidents in life, where things you know, go wrong, basically. Um, and think about, again, our Lord's example. No natural disasters overtook him. You say, what about the, the storm that occurred when he was on the sea? Well, yes, that came, but Jesus dealt with the storm. Um, he, you know, he commanded it to stop, and so he did. And so, yes, storms will arise in Christians' lives, and so we can. I'm talking about natural things now. I'm not talking about um, the, the storms of persecution, because that's the kind of suffering we are meant to incur. But in this uh, section we're dealing with now, I'm talking about a Christian should not, I don't know, break their leg for argument's sake um, because of an accident. A Christian should not be in a motor vehicle accident. Um, that's the kind of suffering that we're not meant to incur because we are meant to walk in that place where we can enjoy the divine protection of the Lord, um, where Jesus walked. And we, we spoke about Psalm 91. 
that the Lord Jesus Christ proclaimed it over his life and thus walked in it. And so we can and should also do exactly the same. We follow his example. And so again, if we look at the lifestyle of our Lord Jesus Christ, he just didn't incur. You know, even when they wanted to stone him, they couldn't because his time hadn't yet come. Even when they wanted to throw him off the cliff, they couldn't because his time hadn't yet come. And so, you know, that type of... Um, uh, what's the word, adversity coming against our Lord. They couldn't do it at that time. But now that kind of adversity can take place in the life of Christians. Think about Paul. Paul was stoned. Paul was beaten. Um, because that is scriptural. Because why, why do we say that? Because now that is suffering for Christ as a Christian. But I'm talking about accidents. You know, you're driving along the road and a car smashes into you. Well, that's not the will of the Lord for his children. And so that's where the Christian should not, that's the kind of suffering the Christian should not incur. Um, because when we look at our Lord Jesus' example, he never did that. He never incurred that. And so we don't incur that either. But what about um, the substitutionary sacrifice that our Lord Jesus Christ made in this area for us? Well, we pick that up again in Psalm 22, verse 16. Scripture says, for dogs have surrounded me. This is our Lord speaking. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. And so when our Lord Jesus went to the cross, his body had never been cut before throughout his walk in the earth. And this just didn't happen. You, again, uh, we need to get our mindset to think as the Bible speaks to us. And so naturally thinking people think well jesus must have you know as a young boy fallen and cut himself and bruised himself actually that's not what the scripture says and so we need to think in line with the word what the word of god says and so the word of god says that god's angels bore our lord jesus up so he never dashed never 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 even as a young child dashed his foot against the stone and that's where god um, wanted his son to walk and he did now, God wants all of his children to walk in that place, and we can. And so, Jesus' body had never been cut before. But it's on the cross that his hands and his feet are pierced with those nails. And so, that's when his body was cut. And obviously, when he was scourged by the Romans as well, his body was cut open for the first time, and his blood was shed for the first time. And so... There's the substitutionary sacrifice that our Lord Jesus Christ made for us in this area. So he went through that so that we don't have to go through it. And again, we go through Isaiah 53.5 again, because again, it, that, that particular passage highlights for us pretty much nearly all of the substitutionary sacrifice that our Lord made for us on that day. He's, the scripture says, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. And so when our Lord's body was wounded on that day and bruised on that day, it had never been wounded before, it had never been bruised before. It all took place on that day. When it happened, it happened for our transgressions and for our iniquities. In other words, that's the substitutionary sacrifice that was made. And so the Christian can now walk free of that because of what her Lord uh, incurred for her when she went to the cross. When I say her, I'm talking about the church now. Uh, we make up uh, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so 
just as our Lord Jesus never suffered natural disasters in his life and never suffered accidents in his life, so the Christian is not called to suffer natural disasters in our lives and accidents. You say, what about um, hurricanes and tornadoes and that type of thing? Well, again, the Holy Spirit has been sent to us to show us things to come. That's part of what the, what the Holy Spirit does. And so he does. He, he forewarns his church about things that might be going to take place in the earth. And we prepare for it and we're able to either avoid it or we're able to go through it being completely prepared for it. And so it doesn't, we don't incur uh, destruction in our lives. And so that's another area of suffering that Christians are not called to walk in. Now, it doesn't mean Christians won't walk in them, um, because, as I say, it is what we believe out of the Word of God and what we are prepared to appropriate for ourselves by faith, because God has made it available to us to walk in, but we have to appropriate it by faith. We have to believe it and confess it and act upon it, and then the Word of God takes effect in our lives. It doesn't happen by magic. It doesn't just happen because we're Christians. Well, now this is not going to happen in our lives. No, we've really dealt with the fact that even our Lord Jesus Christ had to confess the word of God of his life. And we said there are um, parameters that we have to walk in. We have to walk in love. We have to walk in faith in order to enjoy this. Because if we walk outside of love, well, then we're outside of the perfect will of God. And so, you know, his perfect provision and perfect protection is not available to us. Um, and we have to walk by faith. The just shall live by faith. We have to believe this all in order to enjoy it in this life. And then the last area I want to look at today, uh, and this is the last area of uh, the, the, the section of the kind of suffering that the Christian is not called to incur in this life. Um, and that's the area of suffering lack. Um, lack and poverty. This is now where we do not have our needs met. This is, when the, uh, this is a, an area that the Christian is not called to suffer in. And again, we look at our Lord Jesus Christ as the example given to us, um, and we look at His substitutionary sacrifice to determine, Lord, are we as Christians meant to suffer lack and poverty or not? And so when we look at our Lord Jesus Christ, as his example that he gave to us. Now, in this area, we well, really much in pretty much all of our Lord's life, we really are given more detail in the time period that he goes into enters into his earthly ministry, that two-year period uh, before he goes to the cross. Prior to that, we don't get a lot of input about our Lord's lifestyle that he led. And so, when we look at our Lord's life as revealed to us in Scripture, we see that Jesus Christ never suffered any lack. At all. Now, as far as the world's standards is con are concerned, I suppose is a bit uh, terminology, um, Jesus was what the world would call a poor homeless man. Because, why do I say that? Jesus Christ never owned anything. There's no one thing that Jesus owned. The only thing he owned were the clothes that he wore. And those clothes that he wore, he gave up when he went to the cross and they cost lots for his clothing. That's all he owned. Even when he uh, came into the city of Jerusalem on that day, he had to borrow somebody's donkey to ride into Jerusalem um, because he never owned anything. And so, and he, because he never owned anything and he used to travel around in his earthly ministry, 
um, the world would look at that person and say, well, that is a poor person because he doesn't own anything and he doesn't have his own home, so he's homeless. He is a poor, homeless man. And so from the natural standpoint, that's what we would think. Jesus was a poor, homeless man. But from a heavenly standpoint, it's completely different. Why do we say that? Because God always supplied the needs of his son, that his son had, his natural needs. He never lacked anything ever. Jesus Christ never went hungry because there was nothing to eat. Jesus Christ never went, um, uh, had to sleep in the rain because there was no shelter for him to sleep under. Um, so God provided every single need that our Lord Jesus Christ had when he walked the earth. And so much so that our Lord taught his, his apostles and his disciples the same principle. Because when he sent them out to preach the gospel, he wouldn't let them take anything with them. They weren't allowed. He allowed them to take a staff according to Mark's gospel. I think Luke's gospel, he says he couldn't. They weren't, weren't allowed to take a staff. But anyway, um, that's all they could take. He wouldn't allow them to take any money, uh, not even a, another change of clothing, not even a second pair of sandals. And he said, you go out and you, and he gave them certain criteria. You enter into the town, find out who's worthy, worthy in that town and stay there. And whatever they set before you to eat, you eat that, you proclaim the gospel and then you leave that town. And there's other instructions our Lord gave to them. But after they came back and at our end of our Lord's ministry, uh, when he was about to go to the cross, he, he reminds them, he said, guys, when I sent you out and I let you take nothing, uh, when I sent you out to go preach the gospel. Did you lack anything? And they said, no, Lord, we didn't. And so when our Lord Jesus Christ was teaching his um, ministers, because those who were his disciples that followed him at that time were his ministers that he was training up to go out into the mission fields and preach the gospel. So it's not, again, we need to differentiate between our Lord's ministers and the normal saints. Because the normal saints, the Lord never told them to set up everything, leave everything and come follow him. There's always those whom he had called to the ministry. That's his instruction to them. But the point that our Lord wanted to get across to his disciples in that exercise, when he sent them out two by two, is he wanted them to experience the provision of God. From the point of view of God took care of their every need. And so our Lord said to them, did you lack anything? And they said, Lord, no, we didn't. And so that's the life that Jesus led. So I think about it. When our Lord Jesus Christ, when he had to um, pay his tax bill, um, God supplied his, the, the money he needed to pay his tax bill. How did he do that? We know about the account. He says to Peter, go and uh, catch a fish. And the very first fish that comes up, open his mouth, you'll find money. Take them, go pay uh, your tax and my tax out of that. And so you know, God supplied our Lord's tax bill through that method. And so, again, Jesus Christ never got to the point where God, you know, I need to pay this. And I'll, again, if you go to read the account very clearly, in the, in the town of Capernaum, our Lord, when he was there during his earthly ministry, because he had left the family by then, he was now staying on his own. He lived in a rented home in the town of Capernaum. Um, and so he had to pay his rent every month. Um, because at the, end, at the end of his period, obviously, he, he gave up the home. But he stayed in that home. And so our Lord did have needs. He had tremendous needs that had to be met during the earthly, earthly ministry. He had to support a huge ministry team. There was over 70 disciples at one time that the Bible talks about. 
and most of them were married men. No, no, I can't say that, okay? Um, but there, a lot of them were married men. Peter was married, uh, James was married, uh, Judas uh, Iscariot was married with children. And so when God, when our Lord Jesus told those guys, forsake everything and come follow me, our Lord was obliged to then supply their needs and, and support them and their families. And he did. And so there was a lot of finances that went through our Lord's ministry. But our Lord never owned anything. But our Lord also never lacked anything. So again, if we look at the lifestyle that Jesus Christ led on the earth prior to going to the cross, well, that's again our example. Jesus never lacked anything. He never suffered lack or poverty in any way. He never owned, so get, don't, let's get our minds right, from a worldly point of view, he was poor and homeless. But from a heavenly point of view, never once did he ever lack anything. For, you know, he always had a place to stay. He always had uh, enough for him and his disciples and their families. Because uh, they had sand, they had rents to pay, they had mouths to feed. And so there, were, there was a tremendous amount of finances that went through our Lord's ministry. I don't want to get into that in any kind of depth. But again, just want to bring across from our, the example that our Lord Jesus Christ led for us in this area. He never suffered any lack or poverty. And so that's where the Christian is called to walk. It is not our Father's intention that any of his children should suffer lack or poverty. And uh, we need to realize that. Now, what about the substitutionary sacrifice in this area that our Lord Jesus Christ made for us? Well, we pick that up in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. The scripture says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And so that's very clearly our Lord's substitutionary sacrifice. Our Lord owned everything. And so and this passage of scripture in context is talking about Finances. Now, it's also talking about our eternal inheritance, but it's also talking about finances in this life. And Jesus Christ owned everything before he came to the earth. When he came to the earth, he stripped himself of everything. The Bible says he made himself of no reputation, uh, Philippians. And so Jesus Christ came to the earth in the form of a servant, a bondservant. And he had, he owned absolutely nothing. So he came from a place where he owned everything, because he was God, to a place where he owned absolutely nothing, except the, except the clothes that he wore. Um, but even that, somebody had obviously given it to him. But nevertheless, from owning everything to owning nothing. Why did he do that? He became poor that through his poverty, we could become rich. And so what Jesus did is he took us from the place where we owned nothing to the place where we own everything. So where do you get that? 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21 to 23. The scripture says, Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. And so very clearly, uh, there's the substitutionary sacrifice in this area. Jesus Christ owned everything, gave it all up, uh, to the point where he owned nothing. 
Why did he do that? So that we who own nothing could be taken to the place where we now own everything. And so that's the switch. That's the substitutionary sacrifice in this area. And so clearly, because again, 1 Corinthians 3, in context, talking about finances as well, it's included in that um, context of that passage of Scripture. And so Jesus has paid the price for his church so that she never ever has to walk in lack or poverty. Now, it doesn't mean that we, we will all become multi-millionaires or billionaires, whatever. Uh, it just means that we can expect to walk as our Lord walked, having all of our needs met all of the time, whatever the, those needs might be. Not our greeds, our needs. You know, so, you know, I'm not going to get into a detailed description on, on that teaching, but the point is, is that we're not to incur lack or poverty. That's not the type of suffering that the church is called to incur. And again, we can go back and we can look at Galatians chapter 3, where our Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so again, go back to the curse of the Lord, Deuteronomy chapter 28, and very clearly, lack and poverty is under the curse of the law. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross for us, when he became a curse for us, redeemed us from all lack and all poverty. And so as Christians, we are called to walk actually in abundance. And the scripture says, he is, God is able to make all grace abound toward us, that we always, having all sufficiency in all things, have an abundance for every good work. And so the Christian's lifestyle is meant to be in that place, like our Lord's was. Not only did God the Father meet His own needs, the needs of His Son, but Jesus was able to supply the needs of others, quite a lot of others. And you think about that ministry team that He had. And not only that, but our Lord was very generous in giving to the poor. He, there was vast amounts of finances that moved through his ministry in, in uh, giving to the needs of the poor as well. And so that's actually where the Christian is meant to be living. In the place where not only do we have all of our own, our own needs met, but we have an abundance for every good work. That's where God wants his children to walk. And so those are the three areas that we uh, wanted to touch on today. That the Christian is not meant to suffer in um, the area of evil. We're not meant to suffer in the area of worry or anxiety. We're not meant to suffer in the area of lack of poverty. And the previous teaching we agreed on, or we looked at scripture, we're not meant to suffer in the area of sickness, and we're not meant to suffer in the area of wrongdoing. So those are the five primary uh, areas that the Christians are not called to suffer in. And as I say, if you go look at your, um, most Christians' lifestyles, Sadly, that's the area that Christians suffer in. And you go look at the, the areas we are called to suffer in, suffering as a Christian, suffering for Christ. A lot of Christians don't suffer for that, but they do suffer for this. And so, you know, the church has got a long way to go. We need to get out of this type of suffering and move across into the area where our Lord actually did call us to suffer. And so when we do walk a godly lifestyle in these areas, uh, very soon we will start to incur suffering for Christ uh, as we actually are uh, meant to incur in this life. And we're going to end the teaching on that particular point.